Before jumping into today's show, I want to remind you that the Happy as a Mother podcast is now the MomWell podcast. While our name is changing, our mission remains the same, to empower moms like you by providing the knowledge, tools, and support you need to navigate the challenges of motherhood. On the MomWell podcast, we understand that motherhood is hard, but access to care and psychoeducation shouldn't be. We're committed to putting moms back on the priority list. I want every one of you to know how truly grateful I am for your support. You have helped shape and grow this community with your listens, your reviews, and your participation and comments on social media. It's because of you that we've been able to grow and evolve the platform. And it's because of you that we're able to show up the way we do and help moms everywhere. With the launch of MomWell, we're working diligently to bring you even more resources, learning opportunities, and services than ever before. Thank you so much for being a part of the Happiest Mother community. And I can't wait for you to be a part of MomWell. You're listening to the MomWell podcast. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Mary Beth Somich to the show. Mary Beth is a licensed therapist, a private practice owner, a podcast host, a course creator, and founder of the platform Your Journey Through. I've invited Mary Beth here today to help us navigate work life, mom life balance. Is balance even what we're going for? In this episode, we cover what we should be really aiming for in terms of air quotes, work-life balance, how gender norms play a role in this load or the pressures that we feel. And we also discuss ways to overcome some of these struggles and manage the guilt and shame that can come with being a working mom. Many of you report feeling that you have to work like you don't have children and, you know, mother as though you don't have to work, that we feel torn and that we have to give a hundred percent in each roles at all times, leaving us feeling like we're failing and we're just not performing well in either role. Today, Mary Beth and I dive right into it, talk about the pressures that we face and how often we feel like we're failing and just not doing good enough. Let's dive in and hear my conversation with Mary Beth. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Mary Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I feel like we've like bumped into each other virtually, rubbed shoulders, and finally we get the chance to connect and be together. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I feel the same kind of in the social media world. Yeah. I'm so curious how you got your start in social media. I don't know if you had the same experience I did where it was kind of frowned upon, I feel like in my mm. education during the, I don't, I don't know if it's like makes me sound old, the generation through which I went through school. But 
How did you find your way to be online and supporting people through social media? It is so interesting because I feel like in our graduate school programs and our ethics classes, there's this big narrative to just stay small and stay invisible and a blank slate. And then I found with the populations that I work with, that actually is not as therapeutic. Mm. They want to know who I am as a human, not just a therapist. And it actually kind of elevates our work together and the rapport that we have. And so one way that I found that I could do that is through social media. And it's funny you ask, because then I kind of created a course for therapists on how to be on social media ethically. Interesting. So that was something that came out of it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it and made such like great connections with other people like you and some really amazing therapists. So it's been really fun. And your niche and focus, I want to say, is anxiety, boundary setting. Is that sort of your lane or what's your biggest passion, I guess, in terms of topics? Yeah. So I love family dynamic work. Okay. And with that, it usually presents as anxiety and boundary issues and communication issues. And then it a lot of times comes back to family dynamic. And so I love exploring that with people and even doing family therapy sometimes too. Okay. Very neat. I often get DMs and messages and requests for content or requests for podcast topics. And one of the ones that came up and one of the reasons that I reached out to you was like, how do I balance it all more or less, Mm. right? Like how do I mom and work and not just feel like I'm miserably failing at this all of the time? Mm -hmm. So let's put it out there for what even the bar is we should be aiming for. Because I feel like that has undertones of perfectionism and unrealistic Mm -hmm. expectations for ourselves. So maybe we can start to just unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm living it right now myself. Mm. I think both of us are, right? And I have an almost two-year-old. And so in the past two years, my own priorities have really shifted as a working mom and an entrepreneur and what that means for me. And so not only am I navigating it, but then I'm helping my clients navigate it as well. Mm -hmm. And I honestly hate the word balance. Yes. Hate might be a strong word, but Mm -hmm. I just feel like the term balance really sets an unrealistic standard for us. Like, is balance even achievable? I'd rather normalize just like an ever-evolving shift in your priorities. Hmm. Because I can tell you before I was a mom, my priorities were very different than they are now and even year to year. And I think that depends on your children's age, on your job on the support that you have, on like your wants and needs and all of it. Mm-hmm. I had a really interesting thought as soon as you started speaking. You're talking about our priorities shifting. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to like sidestep us here for a minute, but track with me because I had Kate Mangino on the show, I want to say last fall. She's a gender studies sort of expert and One of the things that she had said was that our priorities are largely gendered. They're largely Mm -hmm. influenced by gender norms. And so I think about when I became a mom and you're talking about work versus family, I feel like my priorities shifted away from work onto family, not necessarily because I wanted them to. I love my work, right? but because I felt like they should. Mm. And I think that there's a couple of different individuals we're going to be speaking to here. There are some who maybe wish they could be at home, but they can't. 
for financial reasons or otherwise and long to be at home. And then there are going to be those who just frankly enjoy their career and what they do and the, mm-hmm. feel the pressure to do the opposite of that or that they should be home with their children. So I want to kind of, I don't know, I had a very strong reaction to that. Like, wait a minute, I feel like I was told what my priorities should be. And it took me a long time to challenge those, I feel like. Yeah. And there might be a third group I'm thinking of those that are at home that wish they were more at work outside Mm. the home too. Yeah. And as you're talking and we're talking about gender roles, I was actually a gender studies minor in college. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I do a lot of work around that with my clients at times too. And I'm like, is there a podcast for um, work-life balance for fathers? (laughs) Where is that podcast, right? Right. And so it's all these subliminal cultural societal messages that we're getting about this. And I'm even thinking that starts almost like preconception and pregnancy with the questions that you get of like, oh, what are you going to do about this? And what prenatals are you taking? And all these questions that are put on to mothers that traditionally gendered fathers are not really receiving the same thing. So it's almost like this is my job. I need to know the answers to this. I need to educate myself and focus on this and spend time on this. It becomes a part-time job. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of sets the precedent for then that priority shift potentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important piece that we can't overlook. I was that mom who was home. And this is a weird thing to complain about, given that it's such a privilege to have leave here. Mm-hmm. You can take a year or 18 months and and it's like at 33% pay or 55% pay up to a cap. Mm-hmm. So like it's still not really livable wage, but it's some wage. Mm-hmm. And I was home for three consecutive maternity leaves within just like months of each other. And I was like, is this what my life is destined to be? Do I have to sacrifice everything I'm passionate about and love to do this full time? Because like who signed up mm-hmm. for this? <laughs> you know, like, but all of those norms and expectations come crashing down. And unless we're sort of uh, like keen or a bit aware to them, which I certainly wasn't at the time, we don't know that we can do it differently or that we can challenge those things, right? So I think very relatable for those who are listening. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tough spot to be. And it's almost like, is the grass greener on the other side, right? Because then you have the women at work craving being at home that might not have the ability to do that. So yeah, I've also heard kind of this narrative of, you know, we expect women to work as if they're not raising children and that kind of quote about and to raise children as if that they're not working. Yeah. What an unrealistic standard that sets too. It's exactly where I was going next, actually, with the exact same <laughs> quote where we're expected to do each role with 100% of ourselves. And whether that is an external expectation, which I would say societally it is to a large degree, or whether that's internally or been internalized from these norms, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure because mm-hmm. when we talk about norms of motherhood and intensive mothering, this perfect mother myth that we have to be it all and, and do it all, be in proximity, be self-sacrificing, you know, give everything we can to our children, put their needs above our own, and then we spend time away from them to work or to fulfill something in our lives that we're passionate about, or frankly, to just earn an income to survive for some, it 
takes away from how we feel we're doing in our motherhood role, right? Like, because mm. if we're measuring it by like time spent or by proximity or the ability to show up to a field trip or not, like if these are the things that we're measuring our worth in our role by, then for sure we're going to feel like we're failing. And I think measuring them by time spent or proximity too might not be the most ideal or the goal because how present are you just because you're next to, or the time amount was with, it doesn't mean that you were present during that time. And I think that's what can inform a lot of this mom guilt of, you know, my kids right here, but I'm trying to answer emails on my phone or I'm at work, but I'm not really at work because you know, my partner, my nanny's texting me about my kid. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of boundaries do you have in terms of your ability to be present in either? And I see that as a major theme with clients feeling this intense guilt at this lack of presence in either place, Mm -hmm. either at home or at work. Yeah. Part of that I think is due to the invisible load of parenting that like infiltrates our time when we're at work like the phone calls and the messages in between every meeting that I have that are like this morning, I hadn't even logged in to what I had to do. And the school was calling like, your son forgot his glasses. He wants this very specific pair. Um, He has a backup pair in his bag and he can just deal with those for the day. Like those will be fine. He can see, right? Yeah. So it's those pieces that interfere when we're trying to be at our work. And then at home, it's the lingering stresses, or then it's just the guilt and feeling that we need to do more. There's actually some interesting statistics. Okay, let me get this like correlation of this information correct. So women carry the majority of the household labor when their partner works outside of the home. Mm -hmm. And then you would expect then, because a lot of the reasoning and justification for this is like, well, my partner works. So of course I do these things, right? But so that you would expect that when women work full-time outside of the home, that their load would decrease, but it actually increases. Mm -hmm. And some of the speculations or sort of conclusions for this is that women feel guilty for spending time away from the family. So feel a need to go above and beyond in the time that they're home to do more to make up for the time that they're away. And I'm like, we just can't freaking win here then, can we? Like Mm -hmm. what unrealistic expectations for ourselves. Yeah. And it's a recipe for burnout. I've seen that same statistic and it's alarming. And it's like, when do you get the ability to take the pressure off and to rest? Mm -hmm. There's actually a metaphor. I was pretty early postpartum when I had this conversation with a friend just talking about that, like the mental load and work-life balance or this idea of it. Mm -hmm. And she gave me this metaphor that I have not forgotten. And she was like, I think about it as burners on a stove, right? There's typically four burners on a stove and you've got one burner for motherhood. You've got one for work. You've got one for friendship and fun. And then maybe another for self-care. It's like, if you try to cook with all four burners on high blast or full blast, you're bound to like burn the kitchen down Mm. because you cannot just like keep on top of all four all the time. Mm -hmm. And so really like, prioritizing and saying, okay, my motherhood burner is on right now, or my work burner is on right now. And it's going to be ever shifting, but it's a prioritization and a, and a balancing or like a non-balancing, but a prioritizing act. Mm -hmm. 
And if I think about having all four burners on and all things that I'm trying to manage in all of those, even if the house isn't burning down, it is sheer and utter chaos, right? And the kitchen yeah. is a mess. Like I could just picture how overwhelming that feels if we're trying to constantly do that juggling act. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. Right. Totally. I'm thinking about the idea of flexibility and priorities changing still here a little bit, because I think one of the things that I see and maybe is just expected is that, let me put it like this. When I was on maternity leave and you, you know, have a whole entire human that you create, of course, your priorities shift. You are a different person as a result of that, right? So there is for sure a reevaluating of what is important to you. There is a reevaluating of your values and like a real relearning and discovering of yourself that goes on, right? So Mm -hmm. from that perspective, our priorities shift, like our identity, frankly, shifts. And then there is the idea that our priorities should shift to accommodate the family. Like we have to have the more flexible schedule or we have to be the more flexible one or willing to scale back or take all the vacation time or do all of the appointments and sacrifice our career or our work for the family when that same expectation, I would say, is really not there for our partners. Mm. And that one tripped me up a bit because I find so much life in the work that I do And for situational reasons, my partner was downtown Toronto and he was like two hours away. So it was easier at times for me to pop over and whatever. But since then, we've shifted our life to be where he's actually the main point of contact for the school and all of the specialists. And in the home, I would actually say that my schedule and my work is the more protected of the two of us. And he's taken on the more flexible role so that he can protect my time. So what I'm really realizing as I'm talking this out loud with myself right now is that Time and value of time and whose time gets protected Yeah. also, I feel like, is a gender norm here. Now, do you feel like that shifted? Because it sounds like you were stay-at-home for a bit. Yes. And then in some way, it kind of shifted to your husband. And what do you think was the most influential piece of that shift? Oh, there's so many pieces. I think that doing this work of understanding the norms of me redefining my values and redefining motherhood to be my own experience, like questioning the construct that I felt like I just was placed into. I want to like snap to that. (laughs) It's so good. It opened up a whole new world of possibilities for me. Like, wait, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I can do it differently. Like I don't have to be the one, you know, and still Mm -hmm. sometimes the school will call me first, even though we've told them dad is the primary contact, you know, it's some of these things our society is still not quite like up to date with. So first it began with me opening my mind to being able to do it differently than it is. And I think that sometimes we don't even realize that we're operating under this invisible set of norms and we just are being trapped and smothered by them. Right. And I think having a partner that's willing to acknowledge that too is important. Yeah. And to be willing to even look at his own internalized gender norms to be able to find a new structure that works for us, right? Yeah, yeah. And I find a lot of times that fathers are willing to take on the responsibilities or sometimes even want to, but 
it's not even something that occurs to them primarily because mothers are so often the default. Yeah. So having those conversations can be really eye-opening and important. Like, nope, this responsibility is now on you Mm -hmm. and looking at that mental load. Yeah. I find that when moms are returning from leave, regardless of the length of leave, like I feel like we take some degree of leave and obviously that totally varies in length. There is a, like maybe an assumption that the work within the home is going to redistribute itself. Mm. And then fast forward six months or a year later, and now we're still juggling both full-time roles. Mm -hmm. And the piece of that that is really difficult, I think, is that it's really hard for us to put down things that we feel like are woven into our worth as a mom and our identity. That's a whole onion of a conversation, but like there's so many layers to it. But I think that if I ask my partner to do it and I'm not the one, and then I'm swarmed with mom guilt as a result, because I feel like I should be the one, then it's really hard to let things go to find that quote unquote balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much obligation in this conversation too. And how much of it is sociocultural and how much of it is inherent and just kind of pulling that apart, that idea of obligation Mm -hmm. or even urgency. I find that in a lot of, I mean, even in myself, if I'm honest, like, no, but this needs to get done now. And maybe it's not my partner's priority in the same way that it is mine. Right. And then, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah, To kind of either put that to the side and prioritize something else because I don't feel like self-care is always the number one priority mm-hmm. for mothers, mm-hmm. right? It's put everybody first. Even, I mean, have you heard of the Enneagram personality test? Mm-hmm. And if you're a type two, it means you're a helper. But what they tell women is if you score as a type two, take the test again because you were socialized to be a helper. Interesting. I want to like take a little Cole's note and summary of where we are so far for those who are like, oh my goodness, where do I start here? I'm seeing these pieces, right? And I think that one of the first things is questioning like, okay, what pressures are you feeling around work and family? And where are those pressures coming from? Are they internal? Are they external? Are they internal because you feel like you should do them? Or are they internal because they like really feel like you want to do them? And just understanding the tug and, you know, pull that's going on for you. And then I think that then a next step is also recognizing that in order to let go of some things when it comes to work and mothering and trying to do them perfectly, well, we do have to do just that, let go of some things like perfectionism and also detach how we're measuring ourselves from these tasks and defining like a new way. And you had mentioned that proximity, you know, isn't it? Like it's not the measure. And according to the attachment research that we know about, it's actually consistent safety and showing up over time. It had nothing to do with time spent and proximity. So carving out some new measures for yourself, I would say. What comes to mind for you, Mary Beth, when you think about sustainable ways to measure your performance in motherhood? Gosh, for me, it just comes back to presence again. Mm. Like how present can you feel and how present does your child feel that you are Mm -hmm. with them? Like that is such a measure of 
you know, I guess I, I even struggle with the word successful, but successful parenting, right. showing up effectively. Yeah. It's just presence. Like, can you be where you are with your child or are you somewhere else trying to navigate this mental load? Mm-hmm. And for those who maybe struggle with presence, ADHD brain here, mm. really difficult mm-hmm. at any point of the day to be intentionally present is to have routine present time. For me personally, it helps to set a timer or know there's a beginning and an end mm-hmm. or my brain will be all the other places. Yeah. Not even necessarily due to work stress or like any sort of distressing emotions, just my mind wandering. And so I intentionally try to give the boys like a five to 10 minute intentional window each per day. And for us, that usually happens at bedtime because it's quiet and they're calmer. I hear all about their day. Sometimes they want to talk through little social interactions that were hard or whatever comes up, but they know that they've got me and my attention during that time. Mm -hmm. And so for those who are listening, thinking like, oh my gosh, that feels like overwhelming to think about being present all the time that you're home with them. No, it's like, let's start with five minutes and just be consistent. That's really a great starting point. And even if you can do that consistently over time, it could be a great just standard across the board. And it really comes back to boundaries because boundaries are as much about boundaries with yourself as they are with others. Like I can say, I'm going to put my phone in the other room so that, you know, I'm not being bombarded with work calls or emails, but also like you may not be present with your child because you're somewhere else in your mind. And that's a boundary with self Mm -hmm. that you have to set. Yeah. So setting boundaries with self just as much as setting them with others and work things. Let's come back to this idea of balance then, because it's like, Mm -hmm. we're never going to have this scale fully, equally balanced. So in talking about boundaries and maybe bringing those in a little bit, like what is it that we are striving for, if not balance? Because if you ask most moms or parents, it's like, oh, I just want to feel some balance in my life between work and kids, right? Like that's usually what comes out. But what do you think we should be working towards? What I hear is a longing for permission Hmm. there from the mom and saying, you know, I'm going to accept and forgive that this just may be like the ever evolving shift in priorities. Yes. And this is it right now. And when my kids are this age, it might be something different. And if my job changes or my level of support changes, it might be something different, but just a level of acceptance with where you're at right now, especially Mm -hmm. if it's working for you. Also acknowledging when it's not working for you and you are feeling this overwhelming guilt. Guilt is not a terribly negative emotion. I think it gets a bad rep sometimes, but it can really be a meaningful indicator that something's not aligning with your value system. Mm -hmm. And listening to that is okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that when we talk about mom guilt, we're really talking about the experience of shame versus guilt, right? Like if I am reprioritizing and trying to be fluid with this prioritizing and boundary setting and expectations of myself between work and home, and right now I have a huge project that is consuming all of the waking hours I have, right? Mm -hmm. Shame and guilt is going to say two different things to me. Guilt is going to say, okay, this project has a deadline. This is not how you want to live your life ongoing. 
And we're going to reshift up the boundaries when this project is done and do things a little bit differently. Right. Mm -hmm. And shame is going to say, I am the shittiest human being. These kids deserve a better mother than I do. And clearly I should have just not had kids and worked if this is what I was going to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And those are two totally different experiences. Hey. Yeah, they really are. And shame is a less productive experience too. Mm -hmm. You're really hard on yourself when you're kind of consumed in shame. And a lot of times when I'm pulling apart this narrative of shame with clients, what we find is like a critical internal voice that is actually someone else's. Interesting. And not theirs. So really kind of pulling back and thinking, where is this coming from? Am I getting this message from childhood or a family member or just this big overarching, I mean, there are some big overarching cultural messages. There are. But we can usually channel those towards more of like a guilt frame and make some adjustments. But shame, I always want to understand like, where is that harsh critical voice coming from? Whose is it? Mm -hmm. Who does it sound like? Mm -hmm. Who's said that to you before? And kind of digging deeper there. Yeah. It also shuts down our ability to feel like we have a sense to problem solve or do anything about the situation. Because if that's the way that I'm feeling and talking to myself, I'm going to say, well, you know, I'm going to continue as is. I'm going to keep feeding into my work and keep feeling like I'm failing. Whereas that productive guilt that's like, okay, check in with my values. I know that this has a deadline to it. And then we're going to recalibrate again, because things are fluid We're going to recalibrate after and reestablish that norm and that rhythm again. So one is productive, I would say, and moves us through. And the other keeps us pretty stuck, I think. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the different states of your nervous system, whereas guilt kind of fits into this sympathetic state, which it has energy behind it, Mm. right? There's a level of problem solving and movement and energy. And then shame is more of like this lower dorsal, almost like depressive, like low energy, just kind of ruminating about it. Mm -hmm. And very unmotivating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And when we're talking work-life balance, I think we touched on like expectations slash priorities a little bit, but what do you think in terms of perfectionism here? How is it woven in? Oof. I mean, perfectionists just have this internal harsh inner critic Mm. inherently. And so really taming that harsh inner critic Because I think that can really kind of lend towards the shame narrative, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't keep that inner critic under control, you can really spiral into shame more easily. So acknowledging that, understanding that about yourself is important too. Mm -hmm. Also acknowledging that there is no perfect parent. There's no perfect mother. Perfection is an illusion. Mm. I mean, I think a lot of times it's to keep people productive and let's just like acknowledge that that doesn't feel the best. Right. Well, and it's rewarded a lot in like Mm -hmm. professional environments or academic environments, but in motherhood or parenthood, when you can't really control outcomes in the same way and you you, like, it doesn't depend on you just getting down and doing the work. It is a real lack of control that comes. And so you try to like up the ante to do it even better and it can really feed itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think the control piece is really important. Acknowledging like, is this your way of trying to manifest control in a situation that doesn't feel like you have much? Mm -hmm. 
And at what cost too? Mm-hmm. It, does that perfectionism come? Yeah. You've mentioned like inner voice a couple of times. And I'm curious for those like who are listening to unpack that a little bit. I think that we kind of know that voice, but I'm curious to help listeners understand like what goes into forming that voice. Cause I think that we don't question it or evaluate it often unless we're very intentional to do so. Mm-hmm. And we might mistake it as our own thoughts. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot with clients. Is that what you think, or is that what you've been told and what your harsh inner critic is saying? So I think it comes from culture. It comes from society. It comes from our parents, our partners, our familial norms mm. that create these expectations that then kind of narrate that inner voice. That's like, there's a lot of shoulds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll say to You've probably heard this too as a therapist, but like you're shooting all over yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the harm that can do because maybe that should is not the best fit for you or the right choice for your family. But there's this idea that you have to do it because you just should. Mm-hmm. Who says? And maybe the who says is like where that inner critic voice is coming from. It brings me back to our example off the top about being therapists on social media It's Mm -hmm. like, I remember my inner dialogue so much when I first stepped out in this space, like, who do you think you are? Or like, your colleagues think X, Y, and Z, or you look different than so-and-so. So why should you take up this space? And like all of that, that was like, wait a minute. Where is this even coming from? Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we encounter that in motherhood a lot or in the workplace because the idea of you mentioned you equated it to playing small the stepping out and being on social media so there's like norms there just as a woman generally speaking having opinions and a platform and a voice and paving you know creating a company goes against so many of those norms that we've been taught and so I would say that being able to unpack the priorities between my husband and I and reevaluate and unlearn some of those things really was also an inner work for me in my own like thought life, like my own narrative of what is good and what isn't beyond just like my motherhood role, but like me as a person, me as a woman, a human being, like Mm -hmm. some pieces there too, I feel like. There's a lot of soul searching involved because you might've been told one thing, but do you believe it? Does it fit what you want? Mm -hmm. Does it make you happy? Going back to your point, it is interesting that the therapy profession is what, like 87% female or something. Right. And we're told to stay small, you know, don't create this big, this successful business on social media. Like that's an interesting piece. And then all the textbooks we're learning from are male philosophers Mm -hmm. or psychiatrists, you know, that set the theories, but yet the women are the helpers and caregivers seeing it through often. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are some male psychologists out there who said some very outlandish things and felt fine doing so. So it's just interesting, kind of this cultural gendered stereotype and double standard. Mm -hmm. Back to the point of just thinking about what feels right for me, what feels true for me, what am I entitled or empowered to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe that does go against this should or shouldn't narrative. Yeah. And when we're talking work-life balance and we're talking about maybe taking an inventory of our thoughts or trying to 
see where we feel the pressure or where we feel like we're failing, are those in fact parts of our job description that we need to fulfill or are they expectations and shoulds and unspoken norms? Mm -hmm. Like what must we fulfill and what can we uncover and let go of? Because I'm currently writing a book right now that so much of the invisible load that we carry actually can just be put down. Yeah. Some of it is necessary, but a lot of it isn't. And maybe those who are listening now have some expectations of themselves in their role or at home that don't align with their values or weren't things that they elected or opted into. I'm always like, unsubscribe, unsubscribe from these things are not necessary for you to carry. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a shift in that direction. So it seems like the perfect time for you to be coming out with this book just traditions that you're like, hmm, do I want to continue that just because my family has done it for years or even kind of like more of these cultural capitalistic expectations around holidays. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of families are like, we're just not doing that this year. It's too much. Yeah. And good for you if that's the case. Yeah. Because you're the one that has to try and keep the four burners going. Mm -hmm. No one else who is setting these expectations for you is dealing with the chaos that it creates. And so deciding what burner to take off or to lessen the things that are in the pots on the burners or whatever you need to do to make it feel less chaotic. Yeah. At the end of the day is a choice between, you know, yourself or you and your partner so that it can feel manageable and be aligned with your values as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're giving permission from others to do a healthy microwave meal. Instead of having all four burners running at the same time yeah. with this giant expectation of perfection. Totally. It reminds me of a conversation I was just having this morning where it's like, yeah, my youngest kid had a Nutrigrain bar for breakfast this morning. Like that's <laughs> about the level of functioning we were at. And hey, yeah. it is what it is. You know, yeah. he was fed and he was happy. We got to school and it worked. That is best. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So sometimes choosing the path of ease for our own mental health sometimes or for the just dynamic of the situation as well can Mm -hmm. be a thing. Like maybe it is okay to do certain takeout nights or to package lunches in a different way because it creates so much craziness in the morning. I don't know. There's a lot of ways I think, as you mentioned, we can give ourselves permission to put some of this down. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I like just realized the time and we're just chit-chatting and it's flown by, but where can people connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah. So you can find me on my Instagram account. It's at your journey through. And then my therapy website is yourjourneythrough.com. And we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. So it's an easy click through to find you. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I wonder how many of you can relate to that conversation, to feeling like we're just not measuring up to all the pressures and expectations that are put on us. I can remember transitioning back to work after being on leave, thinking that things like the invisible load would redistribute and that tasks would fall more evenly in the home. But the reality is that often that doesn't happen. And by the time we realize we are drowning in the pressures and invisible load that we carry, it can feel like we don't know how to dig ourselves out. If you're really struggling and feel like you could use somebody to help teach you where to start or help walk through learning some of these skills, 
Head to momwell.com to learn more about our therapy support. That's momwell.com to learn more. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by my friend and psychologist, Dr. Quincy Gideon, to help us work through how to make decisions in parenting and in life with confidence. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well.